Botard. Welcome to another PortugueseSoccer.com podcast, episode number 53. My name is John Neves, dropping this on Friday, January the 29th. It's already the end of January. Here we go into February. And I have a special guest tonight. Um, a lot of you, of course, would already know him. I call him the original Cristiano. And that is Cristiano Oliveira. Chris, welcome back. Thank you very much. I can tell you one thing. I am a guest. I don't know nothing about special, but I am definitely a guest. Thank you for having me back. By the way, I have to tell you, you know, you just put up a background screen of like <laughs> six beautiful girls in a bikini with their asses out. Like you're going to keep me distracted now for like you know, the next hour. They're all Benfica podcast fans. I mean, what can I say? They send me this type of stuff and I have to make sure I have it, you know, for, for my friends to send the support <laughs> that we get. Uh, well, no, thank you for being back. Last time I had you was back in the uh, middle of October, and a lot of stuff has happened uh, since then. Um, but before we get going, I wanted to uh, start because I had, um, and you know him very well, uh, Sergio, um, for, you know, Sergio and Associates on Twitter, for anyone who wants to give him a great follow. And we had, um, and I got a tremendous amount of reaction, DMs. Uh, reaction on Twitter, Instagram, you name it, Facebook, uh, with regard to some of the discussions we had about the Casas in Toronto. Um, I think, have you ever been to Rogers Road in Toronto when you went I've, to? I've been to Toronto. Just, I, I don't know if I've been to Rogers Road, Popeye's Road, KFC's Road. I don't know, but I, I've been there. Lovely, lovely city. Did you city. go to the Benfica house? Not that I recall. No, I yeah. didn't. No, no. I was there. I was there when Benfica played PSG in 2015. Mm. And um, Steve Steve Santos, who obviously was a part of the Bifiga podcast family, brought myself and Alfredo. We stayed at his house. He took us around. We we got to meet the the Martha's. I believe Sergio met up with us, Kevin. Um, and I apologize if I'm missing anybody else, but we we got to meet a few of the people before we headed over to the stadium. And then right after the game, we um, we wound up coming back uh, to Jersey, Alfredo and I. So we really didn't spend much time. But, you know, my dad in the 80s, before coming over to the United States, my dad lived in Toronto. And uh, and my dad actually got deported because he was working there illegally at the time. And and, and whatever, I guess somebody <laughs> somebody called uh, immigration and whatever, denounced him and he got deported. But my dad was always very fond of Canada. And he uh, if he never got deported, I would have been, rather than Cristiano in America, I would have been Cristiano in Canada. You know what I mean? So, uh, so Canada's lost. Yeah, can, absolutely. Think about that. <laughs> you know, but a uh, lovely place. I like that. I like the city a lot. Very clean. Um, at least parts of the city. I saw, uh, you know, John, we come here from New York City. I love it. It's my favorite city in the world, but we know it's not always the cleanest. Uh, I know. Well, that's what happens when, uh, yeah. that's what happens when as many people as are in Portugal, as many people live within 40 miles With, of exactly, uh, one city. Exactly. But, um, uh, but just the two, just to quickly touch on, on Sergio, eat, sleep, Benfica, repeat. My man, he's, he's a machine. That guy, that guy's an absolute rock star. So I was surprised that you got a ton of interaction. I mean, Sergio is one of the better ones out there. So, um, you know, I'm glad that you had the opportunity to speak to him. Yeah, we we communicate a lot via DMs and um, I, I really like his opinion. And I think he also tells it like it is. Um, one of the few compliments, by the way, that I also have about you, because, you know, there's a lot of times I have a hard time coming up with nice things to say about you. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, <laughs> while I have you here, I did have, a you know, like I said, talking with Sergio last week about Toronto Portuguese and the uh, Casas of Benfica, Porto and Sporting. While I have you here, I wanted to quickly get into, of course, when I think about Newark, which is, you know, one of the, you know, I'm not sure anymore, but certainly for like the last 20 years, Newark, New Jersey is humongous with the Portuguese community, even though mm -hmm. I know a lot of people have moved out to, you know, other areas. So we when all I think move about to the suburbs, but we all come back into the city. It's kind of right. like our daily thing. We all come back shopping. And even though there's there's Portuguese supermarkets outside, Newark is still our thing. You know, you could get me out of Newark, but you can't get the Newark out of me. That's kind of how it goes. <laughs> And I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, like I did with Toronto, but now switching it to uh, Newark. So in Newark, I know they've got a ben Casa de Benfica. Mm -hmm. Casa de Benfica. Um, I know they have a sporting club, sport which is Lars de Leões. Is that oh, sport sporting? Sp you mean related? Uh, yeah, uh, Den of Lions, Lars de Leões. Yeah, that's that's related quote to sporting. Unquote, sporting. Yeah, and then you got Sport Club Portuguese, which is, I believe, they're the oldest club in Newark. Uh, but are they affiliated forever. with sporting? No, they're not affiliated with anybody. They're just, you know, local Portuguese club that's been around the longest. They have the biggest tradition and um, 
you know, they're right off of Ferry Street, uh, yep. easy yep. access. So, you know, they're always in the middle of all the action. Um, I played for them, as a matter of fact, back in the days as well. You know, beautiful club. Perfect. The New but Jersey the- Champions League? Yes, we they call it? we've won that. I think we won the initial. I don't even know how many. We, 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 we'd always play the finals of Giants. Yeah, I remember I played played the finals of Giants. We actually lost 1-0 uh, when Benfica came over and played the Metro Stars with Scott Minto, Michael Dean, all those guys. And uh, uh, what's his name? Robertenko was in goal. I think Jovi Pinto. No, Robertenko wasn't in there yet. I'm sorry, it's Perdon. And they beat Benfica. They beat the Metro Stars 3-0, and I was in the locker room. And, and and it's one of those moments, man. You know that I wish I can go back, right, and change things. But it, look, you're gonna be. This is the first time I'm ever, I'm ever gonna tell this publicly. I'm coming out of the locker room, and uh, João Pinto's right next to me, just in his underwear on. Oh, my Joan favorite Pinto. player, my favorite yeah. player of all time. Fantastic player. I think I think Benfica used to should, should should respect that guy more. But that's another story for another day. But along with him, who, who who's walking beside him, Vali is with him. And at the time, I'm like, oh, President Vali is with, him. and I'm reaching out, shaking this guy's hand, and. I wish I could change that time because obviously a couple of years later, we all know what happened um, to destroy Benfica. But yeah, one of those moments. But get back to, 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 to the original topic. You have obviously Sport Club Portuguese. You have the, a lot of Leones that are once most, you know, they're more involved in sports nowadays. You have Casa do Minho. There's a bunch of Portuguese cultural clubs in Portugal. Casa do Minho. Casa do Arcos Valves. Casa do Arcos Valves. There's a Casa Rivatejo. Those, the Casa do Minho they're always throwing parties. Uh, Clube de Mertosa. You have Gafanhense. You have Beira Mar. You have Traquinas. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm missing someone. You used to have Pas Ferreira. Uh, uh, Ferenc, because I think still do have Ferenc is right off, not not too a block away, not not too far from Texera's Bakery. Uh, but yeah, so you have a, a ton of Portuguese clubs. Back in the days, people were a little bit more involved. You'd have the Lisa League, and every club had their soccer team, and you literally have five thousand people at Weekwake Park watching these games. Um, that Portuguese TV covered it. Uh, Luz Americano covered all the sporting events. People are a lot more engaged than what they were than what they are in now. Um, but, you know, it is what it is, man. People are moving out. A lot of people are retiring. They're going back to Portugal and the youngsters. They're not entrenched in, in, in you know, the culture as much as our parents were at one point or not. You know, and so I think that's that's changed uh, some things. But nonetheless, you still have the clubs up and running as we speak. Oh, and by the way, another one I missed the no name boys club. They're also they also have a, a no name boys club. The um, this, uh, the reason why I'm asking about Porto is that every time there's the you know the Portugal Day festivities on that Sunday and they have the parade down ferry, there's usually a group of guys who you know they have the they have the Porto float you know mm-hmm. Porto sporty, but there are also a group of guys that have these sports cars like a lot uh-huh. of them have these incredible Maseratis, Corvettes. Yeah, I, I know I, I know all those guys. I mm-hmm. put up a video because I happen to be doing some shopping and I'm walking up ferry. And all of a sudden I see, you know, these five or six, I mean, these are not, I mean, these were expensive cars. They were pretty, but they were all decked out in Porto colors. I can't imagine that they're stickers. Like those things probably are on the car permanently, but does Porto have a club in Newark? They used to on Goldbush. Well, they used to have one. I mean, they've, they've moved over the years. They were at one point, they were on Madison. Is it Madison? The, it's it's where it used to be it, it, John you'll remember this back in the days it was a, a Portuguese restaurant called Portuguese Pavilion yeah now it's the Brasilia big Brasilia what is that that's not that's not Madison that's the block after oh Brasilia my oh is, my god what's the name of the street Brasilia is after Siabra's Menescato my favorite restaurant yeah but Siabra's Menescato is on Madison and then it's the block over and dude I used to live on Madison I should know this but uh Oh my God, I forget. But Porto Club used to be directly. There's a parking lot, uh, right, 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 right next to separating the buildings, separating the what, what was Portuguese Pavilion, which is now Brasilia, and then the the building right across from that parking lot. That's okay. Where I, I know exactly what you're at. talking about. I, I, I know floor, exactly. Second floor, they were there, and then I know they were also at the which was Benfica Club at one point, and I don't know what they become. So that they, they they've changed names now. It's a cafe. I don't even know, but it's right off of Market Street, right next to the police uh, station on 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 Market Street. And then the last I've I know about 
Porto Club. They were on Gobo Street. My parents had a house on Gobo. It was literally like six doors away. Um, could you imagine my favorite right next to my parents' house? Uh, and so I think that's the last. That's the last I've seen of a Porto Club. They might have opened up somewhere else, but I just haven't heard about it. I don't. Yeah, because they had these group of guys with the cars were really nice. Yeah, I know. Them and, uh, yeah. and and I saw them. And one of the guys wanted me. You know, he probably saw it on social media, so he has it. But he was like, you know, send that to me, send that to me. But I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't hear from the video his address and whatever I could hear. So if he's listening, yeah, I'll still get you the original uh, video. But uh, yeah, th- there's um. There's a lot of communities, you know, I've, I've been to Massachusetts and I know there's mm-hmm. a little bit of a community in London and South Africa. I went to the little Portuguese community a few years ago when I went to see somebody I knew that worked at UEFA. I went to the community in, um, in Geneva, you know, so I was there and um, I've been to a Portuguese restaurant in Philadelphia, believe it or not. There was a place that I went to a few years ago. So uh, I, I've always been very curious in that. And you know what, I, I, a suggestion I make to everybody because the way things are going with vaccination, both here in Europe, who knows if we're even going to be able to go traveling. But, uh, you know, I always tell people, if you're looking to get that Portuguese flavor, just go visit your local Portuguese community. You know, if you're in Toronto, go to Toronto, you know, in Toronto, go check it out. Or, you know, go to Toronto for a weekend. And while you're there, go check out a Portuguese restaurant or same thing in Newark and, you know, in Newark, New Jersey. I learned this on a flight back from Lisbon, uh, I think after being Fica Braga game, this years back. I'm on the flight and speaking to a couple of people. I think one of them was an attorney. Another one was a doctor. I'm speaking to these people that are coming back to the States with Portuguese heritage. And we start talking about, you know, Portuguese communities. And I start telling them I'm from North. Like, oh, that's a huge uh, community. I say, yeah, I think it's the biggest. Like, no, no, no. And I learned from that. And I actually Googled it when I got home. The biggest Portuguese community um, is in, in, in like the biggest concentration of Portuguese in, in the United States is in the Sacramento area. I didn't know that. The Sacramento, California. Sacramento, California. That's oh, I guess you don't hear where, about that a lot. But they, you know, a lot of them are from Madeira and Azores. They came over to work on farms years ago, and they've stayed. And so, um, you don't hear about it as much as we do here. But I guess it, it's ginormous. It's huge because they're all you know they're I've all heard, involved. I, I've heard. Yeah. And I Google it, and I think if you Google it, it pops up. So if you guys are listening, check it out. If I'm wrong, hey, I apologize. But this is the information I got, and at the time I looked it up, it actually confirmed it. Well, let me tell you, I, there's a lot of, as you know, we are a country of immigrants. Uh, yeah, all over I think the there's, place. there's more out than there is in a country. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I'll tell you this, because, um, and don't worry, folks, we will be talking about plenty of Portuguese football, plenty of soccer. Yeah. I have to tell you a quick story. A few years ago, I was reading one of the local news, Portuguese newspapers, and they did this story that there's apparently a Portuguese community in Idaho. And Jorge Ferreira. We all know George Ferreira, the singer. He Caro went out Preto. there. To... <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, you know, he did like a song. He he went out there to perform, and he thought In that he Idaho? could get there. It, I swear to God, I remember reading about this. So. Uh, anyone who grew up in a Portuguese community, I'm sure at one time or another, George Ferreira has uh, played in their local hall. You know, he's, he's on, like all. Or, if you know, you're our so, age, if you're our age, you know, all of our parents had a cassette in the car. Come on, oh, of course that was, they probably that was the still go-to. do. That was the go-to. But the younger generation, they're probably thinking we're very old right now. So on yeah. that note, let's uh, <laughs> let's move on. Um, as I always do with every podcast, we'll talk about the schedule and um, a very busy week. Uh, first off, you know, we had three competitions this week. You know, Saturday, this past Saturday, we had the Tasa de Liga final uh, where Sporting won it. And then we went into week 15. And then we just completed the quarterfinals of the Tasa de Portugal. And now right off the bat, tomorrow, Saturday, we're recording this on Friday night, but tomorrow, Saturday, of course, we have uh, week 16. And um, so this upcoming week, uh, so Saturday, Sunday, Monday, week 16, and of course, oh, excuse me, Tuesday as well. And then, of course, Monday is the day where the big three are in action. And of course, one of those is the Derby, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, Chris. Um, it's the third time, by the way, in a month that Benfica, Porto, and Sporting um, have played on the same day. Um, There was that weekend when the Benfica game got postponed to Friday. Then there was the Sporting game that got pushed the day later to Friday. And then, of course, you had the Classico, where Sporting also played that day. And now we have yet another day, uh, February the 1st, where we're going to have the big three playing in the same day. So it's been a pretty good beginning of the new year to have these, um, you know, to have all these teams playing. But then uh, what's really strange about the schedule is week 17, which pretty much completes the first round, uh, you know, the first leg of the season, it's Thursday and Friday. 
So I guess that must mean Saturday, another Saturday with no big games. And then maybe they start week 18 on Sunday. So I don't know what the schedule is for week 18. But the point is, is everything is just happening so fast. I mean, I guess they don't have much choice. Yeah, I mean, obviously with the whole pandemic situation and, and you know, they started the Campeonato, I believe, a little bit later than regular, no? Yeah, correct, we started about uh, five weeks later. Yeah, so they're trying to cram as many games together as possible. Uh, we all know the Euros is coming are coming up at, at yeah. the middle, in the summer, sometime in the summer if they're able to figure this out. Um, Champions League, you know, they just they just have a ton of games um, to to be played, and so um, I think they could have alleviated some of the scheduling for the players with national team games and friendlies and all that, and maybe even in Portugal with the. I understand now, you know. The, the Tasa de Cerveja, the Tasa de Liga is, is, is taking a new... <laughs> that used to be called that at the first year, I remember. <laughs> yeah, now it, it, you know, it's taking a new significance in Portugal because Benfica's not winning it. But I think maybe a competition like that, nobody, you know, if they put it on hold for a year or two until we clear out the situation that we're currently going through around the world, I, I think it would have been wise. But then again, who am I? Um, to comment on schedules. Look, uh, I'm just glad that I get to watch football. Uh, I got to give you credit because I've never paid attention that Benfica Porto Sport they have played on the same day. <laughs> credit to you because I'm always just focused on one game. Um, yeah, I no, do watch Portuguese rare. soccer, but you know Benfica to me, as you guys know, is my world. Um, but hey, look, they're there to be played. You got to win them. You got to do what you got to do. And us as fans, I just I'm just happy that we're able to watch it. Um, you know, it's 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 crazy times. Players are getting infected left and right, and uh, they're putting it all out there for us, and I appreciate it. And so um, I try to gobble up as much of it as I can. You know what's amazing is back in April, when they were starting to resume play and they started to do training, you know, they did something where, like, they literally brought out two players, one player on one half of the field, one player on the other half of the field, and they would be working out. And back then, there was such a sense that if you put, like, four or five people together – that someone was going to catch COVID and that's how nervous they was. And now you pass forward nine, you know, uh, seven, six months later. And we obviously had the week that we had where, you know, obviously Benfica, um, you know, all the players we've got JJ now is dealing with uh, symptoms. Uh, Porto had uh, some situations, uh, you know, sporting, you know, at the beginning of the season had a bigger situation, but uh, all of a sudden now, I mean, we've, you know, even though they're, and by the way, even when they started the league, I remember they started testing. I think the first weekend, there was like 19 people, players and staff across the league that got infected, that, you know, tested positive. And a lot of people were like, shut down the league, shut down the league, shut down the league. And then you look at what happened this past week where, you know, was it like 10 Benfica players, uh, mm-hmm. four or five Porto? Then you had the situations with, uh, which is, you know, going to be a controversy with uh, Sporer and Nuno Menge with the yeah, false yeah, positives. False positive. But uh, we've come such a long way from where one positive case brought everything down um, to the fact now that, you know, they're starting to play through with it. And, um, you know, I think it's a good idea that they do because, um, you know, fortunately. uh, I don't know, John. I mean, it's a good idea. The fan in me is looking at this and I love it. Right. Because I can't. I mean. You talk about having to be stuck at home, and obviously we don't even have it as bad as they do in Portugal lockdowns and stuff like that. Yeah, we're going to talk about that later. Yeah, we'll talk about, you know, we we got it bad, but, dude, you remember at the beginning with no sports, nothing on TV, that was that was extra bad. It was just Netflix and and, and just some more Netflix and rewatch. I mean, it was it was terrible. So the fan of me is happy that football is back, and I, and I love to watch football, as you, you know, as you guys can imagine. But then the human in me is like, man, these guys are putting their lives at risk. And not just that, they're coming home. They might affect their parents. And, you know, it's just, it's, it, I, I don't know what the correct answer here is. I just, you know, uh, the league gets plenty of criticism for not shutting down. But at the same time, I, I kind of understand if the league shuts down, Portugal is not the Premier League, right? Even the Premier League can't afford to shut down. But we we definitely cannot afford because some of these teams need this TV money in order to keep their doors open. And so, you know, they're in a fine line here. They're threading a fine line. Like if they close down, maybe some of these teams won't be able to open their doors again. They might have to collapse. And oh, they've they said that. They've warned yeah. that, that if, if some of the clubs had to shut down again for, let's say, two months or let's say as long as they're planning mm-hmm. on keeping Portugal locked, which they, they're now saying until the month of March, mm-hmm. um, you know, that would not be – there would be a lot of clubs that would go under because they've got no revenue coming in. They've got, you know – they could suspend the players' payments, but 
sometimes that creates a lot of problems. But um, the, the fact that, because at one point I thought they were going to cancel the Liga, you know, especially when Benfica, you know, had all these cases and, uh, you know, then Porto and then the Sporting and then all of a sudden it was false positives. And I thought they were going to, you know, postpone it to later in the year or cancel it, but they've gone ahead. So that's been one of the things that we've grown up in this pandemic is we've gone from, you know, everybody could catch it to, I think now realizing that, you know, a lot of these players that get it, thankfully, um, are young enough and strong enough where they're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I read something that there, there was some controversy in Portugal this week and one of the, uh, the, those back in the continent could maybe DM me and get information, but there was like a commercial or an ad in Portugal where there was somebody in their thirties who was on like a, a respirator. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people in Portugal were like, what's that all about? I think like 90% of the people that have died in Portugal, something like that is, is above 60. So, you know, people obviously still die below 60, but it's not, you know, the you know, to use an example like that, a lot of people got upset at that. I don't remember what it was, if it was a public service ad, but I saw that and, and that generated controversy well, because, because, well, you know, unfortunately, you know, as we know, it's, it's uh, people with comorbidities that are getting sick, but, you know, most soccer players so far, um, well, we've I'll not had any bad things happen. I'll tell you something that's interesting, right? But I'll just finish off the top. The one, as I was saying, my point was, you know, on one side, they can't afford to close the doors because the league needs the money in order to keep things on. But on the other side, right, the opposite of that coin is they keep playing and, 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 and a player dies or a player's loved one dies. You know, like a tragedy happens. Yeah, not, right, that the other person. That, not that this is not a tragedy as is, but someone can really die. And then it becomes about what's more important, a life or money. That's basically the question. But to add to 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 your point when you said, you know, that luckily these athletes have been able to recover 100 percent. I agree with you, man. Thankfully, they have. Yeah. But I don't know if you've had a chance and you know the listeners have had a chance. I'm pretty sure some have to watch the latest uh, real sports um, on HBO from Brian Gumbel, the host. And they've talking about. Uh, I forget the word that they use, but like a long time, long timers, whatever it is. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, um, I forget the word, I know but what basically, you're talking about but basically, it, yeah. and it's happened more with females than males, right? And they don't know why. It's either it's not affecting males the same way, or just males aren't coming forward and talking about it. That's what they talked about on the program. But it's definitely happened with females where they're getting the COVID. And 10 days go by, 20 days, 30 days. And they still and have the symptoms. It's yeah. months now, and they have no strength. And we're talking about, you know, co- collegiate athletes, elite athletes at the co- at the college level. Some of them are even Olympic uh, hopefuls. And I forget the, the exact word, but basically these people haven't been able to recover, and they don't know why. And thankfully, man, this hasn't. Um, you know, reached over to the to, to, to soccer world, you know, NBA, whatever. And if it has, we just haven't heard about any cases like that. But, you know, uh, fortunately for now, the athletes have been able to get over and return back to 100%. But there's cases at Benfica where you, you, you hear reports and you hear the rumors that you got guys like Svetovic, um, Darwin, knowing the same strength that they had prior. So, if if that is indeed the case, they still haven't recovered 100%. And so if this happens to these guys, I mean, I could imagine it's happening to other guys throughout the league and Portugal and all over the world. Yeah, I think that one of the celebrities that has it, I believe, is Alyssa Milano. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, I'm actually – yeah, and I, I know exactly still, the, the term. she yeah. still has the, the – the Long symptoms. haulers. The long haulers. Yeah, that's that's the word. Yeah, the long haulers. These people, you know, like and again, it, it's for some reason, it seems like it's affecting the females a lot more than it's affecting the males. But yeah, I mean, you're talking about six months, eight months later, and they're still feeling the effects. And so, like I said, man, we hope that this doesn't carry over. We hope that whoever's dealing with this tragic long haul situation that the doctors are able to figure it out and they get to return back to 100 percent. But it's scary. It's definitely yeah. scary because, look, man, the two of us might get it and you might recover. I might not or I might you, you might not. You just you never know. I mean, there is no certainty with this. And, and it's an ugly, ugly situation. And that's why it's it's a tough decision. It's it's a very tough pill to swallow if you, you know, if you value, um, you know, the human aspect of it over sports. Um, and so, I, I look, they, they have to figure it out. I think I think the best way to go about this, John, unfortunately, is not enough money. But it, it was kind of like the way the NHL did it, the NBA did it, the bubble situation. Right. 
Um, well, they talked about that in Portugal with they Delgado. They just don't have money. Yeah, they yeah, don't have enough. They don't money. Have it. And then again, it's tough. You know, for six weeks, it's you know, look, John, you're not going to see your parents for six weeks. See them on Facetime. You know, you'll survive. They'll survive. But now when I'm turning around and say, John, you you're not going to see your parents for eleven months. You know, it's totally different. You know, yeah. so and plus, there's not enough money in Portugal for for uh, for them to do that. Um, but I think I think that's the only way. I guess you could keep sports going and not have to worry about anybody catching the disease and whatever spreading it most importantly which would, would be the confine you know of, of a bubble but you know. well right well portugal is uh, plowing through the liga um you know like i said we've got uh, week 16 starting tomorrow and i want to transition to something else that's still covid related but it involves the european competitions um but, you know, there were some stories and it didn't really get a lot of, at least I didn't see it a lot in Portugal, but it got a lot of attention in England. And that is that um, Benfica, of course, is going to be playing Arsenal in the Europa League. And um, right now uh, you cannot fly if you're in Portugal to England because uh, England has Portugal on their red list. So um, flights are blocked. And then Portugal has done the same because of the the British variant uh, virus. Portugal, I think Portugal's closed all their borders. I don't think you can anybody can well, come in and out. As of a few days ago, that was the case. And what they've done, I think, is the citizens in Portugal, they're uh, not letting them go out unless it's an absolute emergency or something. Uh, I think there are still some flights coming in. But I think the Portuguese citizens are expected to stay domestically. But but you're not allowed to go to England the other way. And part of it is because the uh, English are worried, the government's worried about the Brazilian variant and maybe the South African variant. So the bottom line is you can't fly between the both. And as a result now, there's talk of moving the game to a neutral site. And there was even one story that mentioned that maybe they only do one leg, which I really hope they don't do because... Um, I just think when you're playing a Premier League team, and even though in the last few weeks, Arsenal has shown some life, um, you know, you really, I think, you know, that's dangerous, as we saw when you guys played Park. But what's your thoughts on this uh, neutral site thing and maybe playing one leg if it comes to it? I mean, have you heard of anything? I mean, what's your thoughts? This is the first I hear about one leg, but I definitely heard about the neutral site thing. And, man, like I said, it's just like we're talking about previously regarding the, you know, the the portuguese league and all the it, it's i'm conflicted like it's half of me doesn't really care you want to play me a neutral site let's go let's get down we're gonna smack you do what we have to do and we'll play you on the moon if we have to but at the same time like i, I get it benfica wants to play in the comfort of their confines same thing with arsenal so uh, man it's, it's it's a sticky sticky situation i hope they figure it out um, and, and I believe they will. I know Benfica is not happy about the request for the neutral site. So I don't think it's going to happen unless UEFA intervenes and, and you know, these teams are forced to do so. But right now, I just don't see that happening. They're going to have to figure out a way to delay. I just, you know, especially as you mentioned, Portugal, England, they're going to have to figure figure out a way to, to get it done. or just delay the whole the whole uh, the whole matchup. As far as the one match, um, the one game, the one. Yeah, it was one the of the newspapers off. brought it up as like a possibility where they would play this one. And, and by the way, we'll go in a minute into the neutral site locations. But there was a paper that mentioned that if both teams agree to it, you could decide to play a one leg and UEFA regulations would be okay with it per this uh, story. I think it might have been the mirror. But um, then the other question is, is if they're not playing in either England or Portugal, where exactly are they going to play? Let's say they do wind up playing two games. I mean, it's not like other countries in Europe um, are doing any much better. And right now, Lisbon is one of the major hotspots. I mean, you know, like, I I mean, if they're not going to, I mean, in the the Azores right now, I think are doing the best of all the places in Portugal. But, uh, you know, England's being very strict about if you go to Portugal, period, and you come back, I don't care if you're a footballer, you still have to quarantine. Yeah, yeah. So, like, where else could they possibly, uh, you know, play this game? Um, Madeira, I know they're they're not no, doing they, terribly they, well, but I'm just, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, they, I, I, they, I, don't no, know. I think any place Portugal, they're going to want it outside of Portugal. Yeah. I think that's, the, you know, maybe they do it in Madrid, maybe Paris, uh, which is pretty much a swell. Shorter for coming from London, um, but I think this is worth mentioning because um, you know, like I said, usually when you play a Premier League team, you want to make sure you have every advantage. And because even though Arsenal's starting to do better, 
um, you know, you still have a shot. And, you know, Benfica, obviously, Luis Felipe Vieta said back, you know, back in September, if the cup is right, that they would like to do what they can in this competition and try to win it. Mm-hmm. But it would be, it's, I'm, I'm very curious to see what happens with this because, you know, where are they going to play it? Who's going to allow them to play it? And it's a very, and then will this affect possibly, you know, is Roma going to want to do the same thing with Braga? Is uh, Juventus going to want to do the yeah, same thing it, with Porto? I mean, it'll be a domino effect. Absolutely. It'll, yeah, it'll be, you know, if you don't have one and, um, and obviously, you know, not, none of Portugal, at least continent wise, you know, the mainland is doing great, but the North seems to be in a little bit better shape, but it creates a domino effect. So I think this is something we got to watch because uh, we obviously want what's best interest of the Portuguese teams. And right now it's not looking like they're going to maybe be able to play in Portugal, but we'll see. Yeah. I've always, I've always been a firm believer um, regarding the one game uh, matchup that that favors the quote unquote weaker side, because you could catch the the stronger side napping, right? Just like Paok Benfica. We all know, Regard, I don't care what 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 team you root for, right? In Portugal, um, we know Benfica is a stronger side than Paok is, but that one day Benfica got caught napping, and they didn't. They Benfica weren't allowed to, you know, their chance, their opportunity to avenge and turn things around at home uh, in the second leg, because that's usually what happens. And I and I've always said, and like in Spain and stuff like that, when they made the Copa del Rey two legs and stuff like that, it, I always say it's the favorite of big boys because. You could always get caught by surprise, but then you're always going to have the second chance to come back and, and make things right. Um, and so, look, I don't see it happening, but if it does, um, I, you know, I think Benfica will, will, will do their best to, to get through. I, I know Arsenal have strengthened um, recently. Uh, they've also picked up their play, and it's going to be a very, very tough out. Um but again, I think that they would actually favor Benfica one off, believe it or not. Call me crazy, but it's just the way I feel. Well, as you know, I like the Gunners. And, as I but do, if, as do I. And if Benfica plays the way they did against Porto, where they played with a little bit more grit, a little bit more uh, fire, um, I think they can uh, they can get past that. Uh, they, they can do it. But um, but right now, like I said, it's it's a big question mark. And um, it didn't get as much attention as I thought in the Portuguese press compared to England. But this is a situation that bears watching because, unfortunately, this is one of the – one of the problems uh, with uh, the pandemic right now in uh, Portugal, and of course, we're only talking about, you know, football, soccer. So in relation to what's happening, not, you know, it's not a big problem, uh, but certainly for the Portuguese looking for a distraction and for a lot of people, it's watching their favorite team. Um, some of them would probably be, you know, a little bit sad about it. Um, the Derby on Monday, um, I think for me, because I want to talk a little bit about sporting and then we're going to talk about Porto as well. But to me, I, I like to say, and you could tell me in a minute if you agree with me, but I think this is the most important match of the season for Benfica because if you win, you're three points behind. And you also, because, you know, at the end of the season, um, and by the way, they changed the rule. It's not goal differential anymore. If two teams are tied in the standings, they go by head to head. So in the case of Benfica, if they win and they get those road goals, they would be ahead of sporting if they were tied. But the bottom line is if they win, they cut it to three. If they draw, they're still stuck at six. And if they lose, then they're going to be behind by nine points. And the last few years, even though the the champion that has won has been behind by seven points in January, but now here we are in February and being behind by nine points would be a little bit too much. Um, Am I fair to say that this could be maybe up to this point, but I just think there's a lot of significance to it. Is this maybe the most important game of the season right now? Yeah, it'll be make or break for Benfica. I think they have to attack this game, um, you know, with everything they have. George Jesus uh, from his from his couch, because obviously, as we know, he's got COVID. It, it, right now, it looks as if he's not going to be available to be on the sidelines for that game. No, he won't be there Monday. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing. There's just so many question marks right now with Benfica. We've had, as you mentioned, 10 players out all at once. You're starting to get guys trickling back in, but how strong will those guys be coming into this game uh, uh, against Sporting? And as you mentioned, it's, it's an ultra-important game. Uh, if Benfica wins this game, psh, they got life right back in them. If they draw, I don't think it's the end of the world because six points, still plenty of games to play. Sporting still needs to go to 
to study the loose for the second round, the uh, second, you know, uh, of, of, of the campeonato. And look, even at nine points, it's in, in, in a normal year, it's lights out, right? In a normal year, you could just kiss the championship goodbye. Um, you basically, you know, have left the race. But and, and, and look, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to make excuses here, but in, in today's world, as we kept mentioning about this call, we don't know what, with so many uncertainties. How do we know that, you know, Sporting doesn't all of a sudden start getting infected with 10 guys, 15 guys, and all of a sudden they start driving points in Porto. And we don't know if Benfica's going to get another 10 cases. It's it just, in a regular year, it's good night. But even if that happens, I, this year, falling to nine, I think it's over. But we'll never know because this, we don't know what the future holds. We don't know anything. We don't know what tomorrow holds. You know, that that's like there's a lot of people that 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 lives by that by that motto. I don't know what tomorrow holds. But today, in today's circumstances with this pandemic and it, it's just we honestly we could honestly say we have no clue what's going to happen between Porto Benfica and Sport. All we know is that today we'll handle today. And I think Benfica has to um, go into Avalad and confront this game just like they did at the Dragão. They have to do everything they can to come over with the three points um, because they it's it's been very disappointing so far this season. And so I think that they have to come. Um, they have to come and play. They have to show up, put their best foot forward. And Sporting is a fantastic team. They haven't lost a game all year. Um, you know, they're going to be ready to play. Ruben Mourinho always has Sporting ready to play. But those youngsters, this is a big moment for them as well, you know. The, the lights will be shining bright on, on these young kids um, over at Sporting. And, you know, as a Benfica, I'm hoping that the pressure is a little bit too much to, to deal with. And, and Benfica is able uh, to play well. And uh, I don't even care at this point if they play well, they play bad. I just, you know, <laughs> in desperate need of the three points. But, uh, you know, be very interesting what happens on uh, on Monday. Former Sporting and Porto manager, Zepp Zedu, about mm -hmm. two weeks ago, I had asked Serge this last week, and I wanted to ask you, said that if Sporting right now were playing in packed stadiums, he did not think that they would be as successful as they are now, that some of the young players would, crack. you know, would, would, yeah, maybe not crack, but, you know, maybe not be so comfortable. The pressure, the pressure will weigh on them. Yeah, absolutely. Now, look, and that, that could be said about any team in Portugal, right? With with the smaller squads. Well, I remember last year when when they started announcing that games will be played behind closed doors and whatever. Alfredo asking me on the Benfica podcast, who does who who does this favor? Does it favor the smaller squad? Does it favor the bigger squads? And I said right then and there, I absolutely I think it favors the the smaller teams because I don't care who you are when you're coming into Stade Luz, the Dragon, or Alvalade, and you have fifty thousand people. And you're coming, you know, to play at the losing your custom time and 3,000 people at your stadium, you're going to be shaking in your pants. And so there's going to be tons of pressure. And I think now to these guys, it's just the practice. I think the pressure is solely on the big squads because they have the pressure of winning the game. The Nacionals come, the Nacional coming into Benfica and to start to lose, they don't have no pressure. Everybody expects them to lose. You know, no, last time they were win. there, they lost 10 nothing. <laughs> but I'm just using us now because it was the last game that Benfica played at home uh, for the league, right? Obviously played Belenense yesterday. But, uh, you know, those teams have nothing to lose. To them, it's a practice game. Nobody understands nothing. These bigger teams need that push. They're accustomed to playing with this. And Sporting, due to the fact that they're a bunch of, looks fantastic players, but a lot of youngsters. It, it's very interesting. I don't totally disagree with Giuseppe Zedo, but at the same time, Look, it's just fodder. We have no idea. We we just saw speculation. Well, let me say something about sporting. So they host you guys on Monday. And then once we go into the second leg of the season, where, where you play everybody the second time, and now you alternate home and road, sporting has to go to Porto. Sporting has to go to Braga. Then obviously, to, you know, uh, week 30, the week 33, they got to go to the Luge. Um Right now, they're in a very good position. They've got four points. Um, I have said in past episodes that I think they're benefiting from the fact that they got one less competition to play oh, yeah, in. Absolutely, John. Big you time. know, Big time. Do, do you think that they can keep the, keep this up through, let's say, April? I mean, do, you know, right now, I, you know, it's been a very long time other than, you know, when they won a few tasses the Liga where sporting fans have been this happy for as long as they have been since – Things started to shape out this way since October, or pretty much since I last had you on the podcast. 
But the question, I guess my question to you is between here and May with all the games they have to play. And remember, you know, like we said, they're now playing Europa. Do you think they could keep this up? I mean, they're going to run out of gas. Uh, like you look, said, the younger players are going to maybe, you know, kind of give in a little bit. Look, uh, as I said before, I think Ruben Amorim's done a spectacular job with them, right? But at the end of the day, uh, Spartakis, if you're listening, please don't don't think I'm being a Benfiquista because I will say this, and in, 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 I know you guys don't know him, but you ask Benfiquistas that know me and follow me on the record. I, I, I would say the same thing if it's Benfica. I have no problem calling a spade a spade. And look, my, my thing with Spartan is, right, if they beat Benfica, then the pressure is going to mount, right, on them. Because now, wait a minute, you're clear, right? You got rid of one challenger. Uh, now, Spartakis start to believe even more. Now the questions... Right. Start to intensify. The immediate attention starts to intensify. Now you're expected. Right. To carry this on for the rest of the season. And now it's not going to be one of those conversations that, you know, from Ruben well, you know, our most important game is the next game. We worry about this game is three points because now all of a sudden the media is going to be surrounded. It's going to be a lot more media around these guys because they're looking to break the goose egg from 2001. So the pressure is going to mount there. Right. If they don't beat Benfica and now it's the three points, the pressure is going to mount because yeah. it's going to be, you know, all of a sudden, right? Now they're breathing down their their throats. The players' confidence is probably shot a little bit, right? Because, you know, they're young guys. As we said, they haven't been through these battles before. Um, and so it's, man, we don't, look, I, I don't know, man. It's, I hate to comment on other teams rather than Benfica because obviously I know Benfica inside out um, in my sleep. I, I, I don't. I don't follow Sporting as closely or Porto as close as I do Benfica. And I'm pretty sure guys listening right now uh, that obviously follow those clubs are thinking I'm being some type of hitter. I'm just really not. Um, it's the way I read it. Uh, and it's all going to be about the way that, you know, Amorim and Varandas and everybody involved in the club will be able to handle these guys uh, if they're up, you know, by nine on Benfica or if they're, you know, if they lose and they're, they're up, Three, uh, four, uh, three on Benfica, one on Porto, right? They'll be up one on Porto if Porto obviously has to win their game as well. And then all of a sudden, man, things things start to tighten around them. So, um, look, all I know is we got a lot of season. As I mentioned to you before, even if Benfica loses and they drop to nine points behind, it's not the end this year. It's not the end of the world. Uh, Sporting still has a very tough road ahead of them. You got the whole second half of the season for, for, for all three clubs. Uh, and Braga, let's throw Braga in there as well. Four or four clubs. There's still plenty of games. COVID, we don't know how that's going to affect everybody. Um, and, uh, you know, it'll be interesting, man. It'll be interesting. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, you call it? Uh, I want to switch now to Porto. And um, I've talked about this last week. I talked about this uh, when I did my solo pod about two weeks ago. And what's really fascinating about Porto and Benfica this year is um, before the Clásico, when, the, when they played about a week and a half ago, Porto was on a roll. I think they had like 17 games without a loss. Um, you know, the last time they had lost to that was Pastors de Ferreira back in uh, late October, but they were rolling. You know, they did very well in the Champions League, made a lot of money. Um, they got in all these players and after they, these players gelled, they did very well. And then you look at Benfica and a lot of people thought they were very lackluster in the Europa. As you know, a lot of people felt they could have been playing a lot better in the Liga. And having said that, Benfica is only three points behind Porto. And Porto went 17 games at one point without losing. And Benfica had some disappointments, especially a number of draws. Um, you know, how many times have they blown a lead to lose? And yet, they're only three points behind Porto. What do you make of that? <laughs> I mean, John, I could answer you this as a Benfiquista, or I could answer you this as 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 the radio personality. Well, I, well, I want I mean, personality I on this podcast. So I, I mean, want you to be honest. <laughs> I mean, let's look, keep it, comes, it clean. Let's keep look, the language clean. I, I, I said, I, I always, John, you know that. I, 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 I said this on the, on the latest Benfica podcast because everybody wants to sit here and throw rocks at Benfica and criticize, and rightfully so. There's no excuses. Benfica has not played well, with the exception of a, of a three or four games. Um, they they just been lackluster, they've been subpar. Even the game at the Dragon, they didn't play well. They just brought the effort. That was the difference. And that's what we Benfiquistas all want to see. We want to see that attitude. We want to see that effort on a game, on a day-to-day -day basis, right? 
because as far as the game was, they weren't spectacular by any stretch of imagination. So if people want to rag on them, they're rightfully so. They haven't played well. But like I said on the podcast, the big difference here is this. Benfica's got zero penalties in their favor all season. And I could tell you that there's at least in the last four games, there's three clear, in my opinion. And I'm not being a Benficaista. I'm just being an honest soccer fan. Ball hits a defender, a player opposition in the box with his arm stretched out, hits him in the arm, changes direction, it's a penalty. For some reason, those plays haven't gone to VAR, haven't been called. And, and it's not the reason why Benfica's dropping points, but that would obviously help them. You get what I'm saying? It's not the reason why they drop points because they, they've been atrocious. And then in return, Porto's got what? 10 penalties in 15 matches? Uh, I don't know. I have to check. Yeah, I think it's 10 in 15 matches. Porto has been able to camouflage, right? To camouflage the bad performances with those calls, with the help of those, of, 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 of those, you know, PKs. Where in Benfica, when they play bad, they don't get the benefit. They don't, they haven't gotten that penalty. So I really think that that's the difference. Um, why Porto, as you mentioned, they've gone on the streak and Benfica's still there. Um, and and please, man, <laughs> I hate to say this in this platform here on your show because I, I'm not being a Benfica, it's just a fact. You look at the facts, Porto 10 and 15, Benfica 0 and 15, it's going to affect uh, any team. I'm so, going to try to find... Um... I'm going to try Look I'm it up. I'm for right you. now the because uh, I'd be curious to uh, bring it up. I think Sporting's got six. I think Sporting's got six. Porto's had that many PKs. I mean, I'll yeah, they have. check. There's two at team, some point in this podcast, I'll find it. There's two teams in Portugal that haven't had a penalty call for the most seasons. Benfica, I believe in us, you know. Th- that, yeah, but I, I, mm-hmm. I'm thinking more that Porto maybe hasn't had that many PKs. Let's see if we could find You'd it. be surprised. You know, we could find it. But um, the point in my bringing it up. And was, again, I'm not right. Look, look, John, John. I'm sorry to cut you off. I'm not starting this none of that. I'm just saying when Porto has played bad, they've gotten the calls to go their way, right? In in, in any good team, right? In order to get to the, to, to the end of a, of the 34-game marathon to the top, they're going to need some luck along the way, right? But they've had the luck of, of getting the benefit of the doubt, whatever, to get those penalties called. Befica, on the other hand, when they've been bad, they haven't had you know, a way to camouflage it. You get what I'm saying? Right. So if Benfica, like an example, Benfica went to Santa Clara. They tied 1-1. Um, there was, in my opinion, a Raf across the ball. There was a, a, a Santa Clara defender with his arm stretched out, right? Hits him in the hand. No penalty. Let's say Benfica does get that call, right? Clear handball in the box. Benfica walks away with a 2-1 victory, right? You're looking at this totally different. Then in the last game against Nacional, there was another clear penalty in the box. I forget who the player was now that shot. The, I forget who. Oh, no, no, I, I got you, Chris. Oh, no, but real quick, real quick. I just want to make this last point. If Mefica comes away with the two to one victory, right? You're looking, rather than criticizing Mefica, you're actually praising them for finding a way to win the game two to one with 10 people out on COVID. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Right, it just no, changes no. the whole, it changes the whole perspective on things. No, I got you. And I know that's like a very big thing in Portugal. And um, it's part of uh, especially the newspapers the day after they've got some former referee on a committee and they. No, but John, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not here saying that Porto didn't deserve the penalty. I'm just saying that they've gotten the calls. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that it's yes or not. I'm just I'm not starting none of that. He said, she said, I'm just saying. The fact is, they've gotten the benefit of the doubt. They've gotten the calls. Benfica has not. And that's been able to, to mask their bad games. That's all I'm saying. Right. Well, let me just tell you, I looked it up um, and this was as of I'm uh, looking at the, this was as of the 22nd of January. So last Friday, um, Porto six penalties favor two against in the league, uh, in the league. Yeah, no, six, no, no, no. not 10. I'm looking at a ball. That's what it says here. It says six. They've gotten six PKs and they've had two called against them. Familia Cone has four PKs uh, that they've taken and they've had one against them. Uh, Passos de Freire and Sporting are next with, uh, and I'll go with just those who got a penalty kick. They each have three and then Santa Clara, Rio Ave, and there's a bunch of them. There are five teams in the Liga that do not have a PK. And Benfica is one of them, along with Bilanense Sad, Gil Vicente, Tundela, and Nacional. Um, Nacionals had four PKs called against them, as has Bilanense Sad. Um, yeah, well, let me just say, I, I don't want to spend too much time on this because everybody has an opinion. I've, I've talked to you about this privately, that one of the things about 
when you in Portugal, and, and I don't see it so much with being an Arsenal fan, but in Portugal, there are a lot of people that when things don't go their way, you know, especially when it comes to a PK that wasn't called, it becomes the issue. And I always like to joke sometimes with teams is like, so you never lost. There's always a reason why you lost it. You know, sometimes you just lose, you know, and that's the way it is. And Luis Felipe Vieira about five years ago said something it was when Rui Vitoria was the manager. It was uh, matter of fact, this is really at the beginning when I first uh, met you, we were just communicating with each other on Twitter and Porto went something like four or five weeks in November. It was Nuno, Nuno was the coach and they didn't have, they went like five, four or five games without scoring a goal. And it was a big controversy. Porto was saying at the time through their newsletter that they should have had like six or seven PKs, you know, as the month went along. And Luis Felipe Vieta did an interview. It was either during Christmas or New Year's. You can look it up. It might've been around maybe 14, 2014 season. Anyone can look it up on zero0.pt. And they asked Luis Felipe Vieta, you know, there's this whole controversy with Porto and the fact that they don't get a lot of PKs called. And Luis Felipe Vieta, basically said something that to me is what makes the biggest difference in why and how you win the Liga. And he said, look, the reason why we're winning, and at the time, you know, Rui Vitoria, I think they had a six or seven point lead, even though they lost in the Dragon, is because we win by more than one goal. We never allow ourselves to be put by the minimum of margins so that if a team could score to tie us, like what happened with Nacional, um, or a team could put themselves in a position late in the game to beat us. And JJ said that the other day. He's like, Benfica has a very hard time building leads and keeping leads. So I get it, and, and I understand. Um, but I think to me, after all these years, I think you've got to win a league of game by two goals if you want to make sure you're going to win. And if you allow yourself to be, you know, to be put in a position where you're hoping that every call goes your way, then that's not going to happen. You know, if you know what I'm saying, Chris. No, no, you're 100% correct. And for some reason, man, I want to apologize uh, because I could have sworn. No, it wasn't 10. That sounded a little bit. I could have sworn I read it was 10 penalties in 15 games. I could have. So where where did you read that at? Benfica.pt? No, Benfica doesn't even do a good job of defending themselves, bro. Trust me. Um, But yeah, I could have sworn I saw that. So I apologize for that if I am wrong. Well, Um, well, I'm going to I'm going to pay attention to this, but. At the end of the day, to me, and I think Sporting has managed to do that, although in the games where they they, they lost points, you know, being the three draws, um, you know, even Ruben Amarin said that they allowed themselves to be put in that position to, to draw because, you know, they didn't take care of business. So, but Benfica has been able to get off to, to a couple of leads, but then all of a sudden the switch goes off um, and they have been able to, to, to carry it on and, and contain it even into the second half. And it's something that this is – Happened to Benfica going back to to to, to the Rui Vitoria days, uh, Bruno Lage and now with George Jesus is they're able to first half they play well enough to come away with the lead is you know it's not that they're you know demolishing teams by any stretch of imagination being dominant but they they play well enough uh, to come away with the halftime lead and then in the second half it's is you know Benfica is is caught napping and and regardless if it's you know the teams uh, in the upper echelon of the league table or in the bottom. They, they, they it's a totally different game. Benfica's on a back foot, um, defending and and struggling, and then obviously they they give up the tying goal, and then they just have to hold on and suffer not to not to allow um, the goal that would give the opposition the victory. So it's been very tough to watch. But this is a mental block. I don't know if it's and we really can't pinpoint. Um, if it's a tactical adjustment, if it's a coach, it's just all I know is that watching this team as closely as I do, it's just one of those things that we see game after game. And it's about the only thing that Benfica is consistent in, which isn't being bad in second halves, with the exception of the game against Porto and a couple of other games. Um, and it's just hard to swallow because the one thing we want to see is this team finish the way they started in that effort. Right. It's not there. That attitude is not there. It's like these players are going out for a walk in the second half. And regardless, um, you know, if they give up the lead or if they look, it's just it, it's irrelevant. We want to see pride. Benfica needs players that are going to defend that shirt no matter what, regardless of, you know, of who they're playing against. And we just we haven't seen that. We have not seen that. Well, this let me just- really started last year. Right. Once they came back from COVID, the team just collapsed. 
and and I don't think it George Zeus. I don't I don't I just I don't think you know I don't think they've been able to figure that out yet. Well, let me say this. Uh, by the way, I got to correct myself. I think I said it was a three points that you guys were behind Porto. It's actually two points. But with everything that you said, you guys are only two points behind Porto. You know, and I know everybody's sticking a first place, but it's just amazing that with all the the struggle, the disappointment, and the way Porto has been playing so much better, you guys are only two points behind the behind Porto. And I just find that to be very interesting because as I said last week, and I've said in previous episodes, you know, if, if I listen to you week to week without paying attention to Porto, I would think that, you know, you guys were like 12 points behind Porto and sporting. Um, but the reality is, is you're only two points behind. So, you know, like I, I said, you guys still have some time to turn it around, but the margin of what you have to do, you know, you're only four points behind first place. I mean, you guys, I think if you're going to have all these problems and to be only four points behind first place is, I mean, I don't think you could have it any better than that. I, look, John, I think it's, it's all related to expectations. When you bring back George Zeus, you spend a hundred million the expectations are through the roof and Benfica has just not been able to live up to those, um, you know? Yeah, no, they uh, haven't, they haven't been playing well and they certainly are not playing up to what JJ wants. But you know what? I also think that JJ, when he was at Benfica the first time, he had the privilege of having all these third party players and all this amazing amount of talent. And now I don't think he has the uh, same team. And I think that's probably why they're not as good. And, I mean, there's some players on the team are pretty good. I mean, Walshmith is, is going to be a good player. Weigel, uh, Darwin certainly is going to make you guys a lot of money. But um, this is certainly not as good as the Benfica teams he had the first time, at least in my opinion, of course. Um, switching to the last part of the podcast, Chris, I wanted to talk about um, – this is the part where I talk about off-the-field stuff. Particularly, I want to talk about the TV rights, and I want to talk about Portugal COVID, and that's how we'll end this uh, podcast. And thanks again for being on. Um, it's always great to have your opinion. And um, earlier this week, the Federation and the Liga signed a memorandum of agreement um, that basically starting with the 27-28 season, um, the Liga rights are going to be centralized, the TV rights. Now, right now, every team is on their own with the TV rights. Uh, Benfica, obviously, uh, shows their games on BTV, of course. Everybody else has a deal with Sport TV. Uh, but what they're trying to do right now is put the league into a, to centralize it. And I don't know if they're going to create a company and I'm not really sure how it's going to work because I guess the question about, first off, I wanted to get, you're familiar with what can happen this week, correct? That this came up with the centralization of TV rights that they're hoping to do that. And by the way, it's, it's a long ways away. And that's because there's so many of the deals right now, you know, they're there for like five or six years. So that's why they're waiting. But what's your thoughts on it? Look, I heard about it, but I, I believe it when I see it. Yeah, because I, I, I like the idea. I'm a fan of the idea. And I know a lot of you know, Benfica, Sportes, and even Sportes won't be fans of it because uh, we like to keep the pot to ourselves. And now you're going to have to share it. But I believe in order to get a league, a stronger league, you're going to have to do some type of revenue sharing. You have to share the rights. Um, and, and I, I, I look, I, we come from, we're in the United States. We all appreciate and watch the NFL. We all know how this started back in the days with the Maras and everybody trying to help out the Green Bay Packers. And therefore he started revenue sharing and then EPL liked the idea, ran with it, started the new format of the EPL where teams all get money. So I think it's a win-win for everybody, but I just, I don't believe that the big teams will be on board. Um, you see it year after year in La Liga with Barcelona and Real Madrid where they Barcelona's like 900 million Real Madrid is like a billion dollar deal and the rest of the league combined doesn't even come up to anywhere near that they just don't want to share the pot um and again I like it I just I just have a hard time seeing Benfica Porto Sporting maybe one of those three will agree but I just don't see all three agreeing to do that yeah, they're going to have to come up with a system because obviously, I'm not sure how they do. I think in Spain, they have centralized TV rights. So I'm not sure how much money Barcelona and Real Madrid get compared to, let's say, Celta or, you know, in one of the uh, other clubs that, um, you know, in, in La Liga. But, you know, obviously, it's there's going to have to be a formula that they come up with where the big three and maybe a Braga get a certain amount of, a good amount of the money. Because if you're like a Tundela, um, if you're, you know, a Nacional, 
um, you know, obviously you're talking about a whole other, if you're building into sad, which, mm -hmm. you know, broke away from their parent, uh, you know, because there were some issues and uh, they don't have as big of as a fan base as they did before. Um, it would be great to get all that money, but, you know, how do you effectively, you know, what do they deserve to get if there's all of a sudden more money and what does this bigger clubs have to get less of in order to allow these smaller clubs to get more money. So it's going to be something on the horizon, but this, basically this was news this week and um, they, they really can't do anything about it until 2027, 28. And, um, you know, hopefully by then um, they've got it figured out, but that was a pretty interesting topic. Um, we're going to wrap it up now with uh, COVID talk. And uh, obviously if you listen to the podcast, um, I got I like a lot of reaction to it. And a lot of people want to know, um, Right now, Portugal, um, I think there was a report that 40% of the cases in Portugal are the British variant, and they think it could go as high as uh, 60%. But Portugal right now is under a national lockdown. Looks like they're going to extend it. Um, it does not affect the Liga Nosh. It doesn't affect professional sports. They are still continuing uh, to play. Um, but right now, Portugal is unfortunately kind of almost the epicenter of the world with uh, COVID. And Apparently, the what caused this problem, Chris. I'm not sure if you if you knew what one of the reasons why they say it happened is not only possibly because of this new variant, which is apparently much more contagious, but apparently they relaxed the rules during Christmas, mm -hmm. and I think that that seems to have been the uh, big thing. But obviously, for all of us, I mean, you've got family in Portugal. I got a lot of family in Portugal. I mean, the news you hear from Portugal is downright scary. Yeah, yeah, it is, man. My heart goes out to everybody. Um, they need to take every measure possible. I can't believe it's gotten this crazy. I really can't believe. And then you watch TV, you watch the news every day, and and you see people not wearing masks. I, I don't know what it is. Man. It seems as if people aren't taking it as seriously as they should, uh, but they absolutely need to because we need our country back under control. Portugal is a beautiful country. That they, It's just, man, they need to figure this. I was going to say something. They need to figure this out, John. Well, one thing they cannot afford is to have another summer without tourists. Uh, yeah. They need to get this under control by April or May because I think the fact that they're not getting people from England, but from, uh, you know, a lot of British have homes in Portugal. I think I think I read it's like a billion dollars a year the economy gets from just from the British uh, that come to uh, southern Portugal. So you lose that and they lost a lot of it this summer. It would be a big thing, but yeah, there, there's all these photos of the, the ambulances lining up yeah. outside the hospitals trying to it's get It's gotten in so and... bad now that they're, from what I heard, that they're even taking patients because the hospital's crazy, right? The hospitals are jam-packed, and they're even taking patients to Madeira. Oh, yeah, I saw that. They there. took yeah. three of them, the Air Force, yeah. yeah. So it's... It's just people need, man, if, if you guys are in Portugal, man, wash your hands, right? Which is something you should do all the time, by the way. <laughs> wash your hands, wear your masks, man. Do what you got to do. Stay safe. Keep your family safe. And I understand it sucks to stay home. And even now, right, they're talking about maybe March 14th or whatever the case may be. But if that's the sacrifice you got to make, make it. Because at the end of the day, you'll be better off for it. Your family will be better off for it. Um, and your country as a whole be better off uh, for it. It's a small, it's a small price to pay when you look yeah. at the big picture. I was hearing stories and um, that like uh, supposedly some people rented people's dogs just so they can go out for like a three hour walk. <laughs> I literally read about that. It was, it was, uh, but you know, they, it, it's tough. And then the vaccine rollout is going apparently pretty slow in Europe. I think like um, in America, 28 million people have been vaccinated, but I think only half of that in Europe um, so they kind of, um, you know, they have that issue. I think in Portugal, it's like 270,000 people have been vaccinated, but I would have thought by now they would have been farther along, but, um, it's scary time. So yeah, our hearts are with, um, everybody in Portugal and, uh, um, you know, obviously this is, uh, it's a very scary time. I, I only, I like to see Portugal in the news when it comes to the national team, when it comes to Cristiano Ronaldo, when it comes to our wines, when it comes to, you know, our food, uh, oh, when you. it comes to that beautiful supermodel whose name escapes me right now, the Portuguese supermodel. Sarah Sampaio. Sarah Sampaio. And, you know, Portugal, the head of the United Nations. She's a Nation. portista, by the way. I think, I yes, I've heard that, yeah. She's a portista, by the way. Yeah, the, by the way, the, there's that show CSI Los Angeles, I think. Uh-huh. 
there's the the girl on the show. She's uh, also from Portugal. Portugal. Yeah, I think yeah, she's a yeah. sportingista. Yeah, I think she's a sportingista. But yeah, um, there's the reason why I don't think they're beautiful. See, that's that's gotta be it. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Is there any <laughs> and is there any like pretty Benficas that we know of? Any special Benficistas? St- I'm not talking about a Portuguese soap opera celebrity. I'm talking about somebody. Outside. They're all they're all pretty. Son todas lindas, pa. Like todas the one. Hey, by the way, you changed the screen behind you. Yeah, those. now you got the, the now you got the luge in the background, but uh, well, it's probably a good thing that you did change it because then I would have yeah. been probably. Uh, I wanted to concentrating on the pod, not a, not on that. Oh, and I appreciate that, but, but they're I definitely really Benficistas. They're definitely Benficistas, but they want to remain anonymous. Chris, thank you again for coming on the show. Um, really enjoyed talking about the big three, Portuguese uh, Newark, um, the Derby. The TV rights, uh, and of course, Portugal and COVID. So thanks a lot for coming on tonight. Uh, Folks, this has been episode number 53. Don't forget, you can listen to this on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor FM, to name a few of the mediums. Um, If there's a particular place where you get your podcast and you want me to add it, please let me know. Don't forget uh, the website, PortugueseSoccer.com, Twitter, PeaceSoccerCOM. It's also the Facebook account and, of course, our partners at Instagram, Portuguese underscore soccer underscore noticias. And I want to thank everyone for listening to episode number 53. Folks, please stay safe wearing masks, and I'll talk to you soon.